As we look at this passage this morning, I have a question for you. Where is your faith rooted? Where is your faith rooted? This is the question that we come to as we look at Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and the churches around the region, where we see that Paul's faith is rooted in a place that is dissimilar to many of us. You see, Paul's in prison writing this incredible letter, and circumstances have not gone well in his life. He's in prison, he's been unjustly arrested, his ministry, his hopes and dreams of planting churches have been dashed. We see later on that he says many of the church betrayed him. He felt all alone. And in many ways, his circumstances are bleak, are dire. And yet at the same time, Paul is writing a letter in prison, encouraging others celebrating the good news of Jesus. He's enduring, he's persevering in his faith. He's unshakable and not gonna give up no matter what happens around him. That for Paul, his circumstances were upside down, but his faith never flinched. That for Paul, we read in this letter today what it means to be a people, what it means to be a church, that whatever you're facing, whatever opposition comes, whatever circumstances don't go to plan, that you are a people, we are a people, we are a church whose faith is unshakable. That no matter what is going on around us, our, our faith, our joy, our hope, our perseverance is never waning despite Maybe circumstances not being what they hoped, what we hoped. Paul's joy and faith and perseverance endures no matter what. Because his faith, as we'll come to see now as we turn to his letter, his faith was fundamentally never in his circumstances. His faith was elsewhere. And what we're going to look this morning is that if we want to be a church that in this cultural moment can resist opposition, that can actually face persecution, if not physical, social, that we can actually endure and live with joy and hope and confidence and be passionate about Jesus despite maybe our prayers about our personal circumstances not being answered in the way that we thought. That if we are going to actually live secure, and joyful and rich lives in Jesus, we have to take our faith out of being rooted in circumstances and put them somewhere else. Paul models to us and encourages us through his letter that your faith must always be rooted in what Christ has done for you where you've come from, and where he's taking you. And if your faith is not rooted in that, you are always prone to topple over, to give up, to lose faith, to lose heart, if your faith is in your current circumstances. Paul models to us, if we want to be a strong church, a vibrant church, a joyful church, no matter what's going on. If we want to be sharing the gospel around our city, if we want to endure and persevere, no matter what, we have to reroute our faith 
out of God coming through in our immediate circumstances and put it in what he's done for us. What we're gonna see is this. Paul's joy and his perseverance and his hope and his encouragement in Christ is based on two things. The first thing it's based on is look where we were without Christ. And he's going to show us in this passage again, he's going to dive deep into rich theology of, do you remember how bleak it was without Jesus? Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what it felt like? Do you remember what our future was without Jesus? And then he switches tack and says, now I need to show you not only what it was like before Jesus, but do you realize where we are now with him? Do you realize how much he's done for us? Do you realize the riches we have in him? Because he says, until you realize the huge length of where we were to how we are today, until you realize the depth of our predicament, but where we are today, is, is basically your joy and your endurance will directly correspond to how far this gap is for you in your life. Your ability to be joyful no matter what, your ability to be faithful, to worship, to press into the things that God has for you, despite the circumstances, for Paul is based on how much you realize where you were and how much you now know where you are, all because of what he has done for you. I was praying this morning and this was the great grief of my heart when I see so many folks sadly coming to faith in Jesus, not based on what Christ has done for them and where they were and now where they are, but out of a promise of if you come to Jesus, he's going to do these amazing things in your circumstances. It's like Jesus is a genie in a bottle, that the gospel is simply you've tried all sorts of things in your life for happiness and prosperity, and those things don't work, so have you tried Jesus? And the problem with that is you're putting your faith in, well, I'm gonna worship Jesus and be faithful to him as long as he comes through for me in these circumstances. The challenge of that, of course, is Jesus never promised that. He's a God who is with you in all circumstances. And there are times where you see his amazing provision and presence and power in your life. But he says, we're also living in a world where you're going to suffer. You're actually going to feel the grief of unfulfilled prayers this side of eternity. You're going to feel what I felt, which is betrayal by your friends. And you're actually going to suffer because I suffered that some of your deepest longings may not come true. This is the narrow path Jesus calls us to. And this is not the message that so many of us came to Christ with. And the problem is, as soon as opposition comes, as soon as circumstances don't work through, as soon as unanswered prayers come, as soon as actually the deepest longings of our heart aren't satisfied, as as soon as we realize it's been a few years now and I'm, I'm still in this predicament, if our faith was rooted only in that, we give up. We reject Christ and we step away. What Paul shows us today is our faith is to be rooted elsewhere. That God is with us in our circumstances, 
but he never says put your faith in the circumstances. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse one. This is rich, deep theology. We're going to scuba dive in theology for the next 20 minutes. But this is Paul saying, once you grasp this and once you get this wrapped around your head and your heart, you become unshakable as people of God in turbulent times. Verse one, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is Paul's faith. This is the story which he roots himself in, which fuels his joy, which fuels his ministry, which fuels his ability to endure whatever comes, because this is where his faith, and he starts with, do you remember where we were? Do you remember what it was like to live outside of Christ? He starts in verse one straight away and says, we were dead in transgressions and sins. For Paul, this is a bleak diagnosis of the human race. We are, we're not just sick, we're not just having a bad day, we are not just need a pep talk, we're not just needing kind of better education or better technology or better friends or better riches. All those things could be good, but he says that's not the problem because those things don't bring back dead people. We are dead in our sins. This is... A bleak portrayal, a bleak picture of humanity without Christ. And of course, Paul is not saying we're physically dead. In fact, he's going back to really interpret the the first few chapters of Genesis, chapter 1 through 4, where he's saying humanity were created to be plugged into life, plugged into God. Like an iPhone, we are meant to be plugged in to get our power our life from a different source. We are not self-sufficient. God is not within us. We are not gods. We are created by a creator. We are to be plugged into him. But in our infinite wisdom, humanity expressed as an example through Adam and Eve, we have all decided to unplug. We all decided to unplug from God the creator. In other words, we decided, you know what? I think I know best. I want to be the boss of my own life. I don't want to live dependent upon 
an external relationship with God. I want to run my own life. And Paul is saying, this is what results in death. Not physically, we're still around. Not emotionally, we still have emotions and we still have relational needs. He says, but spiritually dead. Dead in our relationship with God. That because we've unplugged. I have a little iPhone here. And you know, you can be fully charged and you feel everything is great, but I do know, unplugged, this thing is slowly dying. You see, that's the picture of the human race. We have been unplugged. We unplugged ourselves. We unplugged ourselves away from this relationship with God and therefore we are spiritually dead. Now, I know in LA, Rightly, people go, man, but we still have a spiritual life. We still have a spiritual hunger. I'm not completely dead spiritually. And what Paul is meaning is, yes, you still have a spirit, but it's dead to the things of God your Father. It is unplugged. It it really is. It's because we have said, you are dead to me. And we still have this spiritual hunger, and so we're trying to satisfy it somewhere else. But restlessness remains because we're cut off from what truly satisfies what we were created for. Not just some kind of transcendent feeling every now and again with a universal source. That is actually an appetizer, a little teaser of what we were created for, which is a relationship with God as our Father. In relationship, hearing His voice, adopted into His family. The ultimate spiritual connection has been severed. And like an iPhone, when that's unplugged, everything else starts to go wrong. Then the power starts to drain. And we see in Genesis 1 onwards, we see humanity unplugged start to drain. Do you hate, I do, that little notification where it says, you know, low power, low power mode. And everything starts to slow down on your phone. The brightness doesn't quite work as much. And then eventually you see the power and the batteries fading away. And in many sense, that's the human race unplugged from God where we've severed, we're dead to God and therefore death starts to creep in. We see very early on that the family that was once at peace and in love and harmony with one another starts to be greedy, starts to be jealous. And before we we know it, murder and injustice and racism has crept into the world because we are dead to the source of life. Paul said, do you remember what it was like without Jesus? We were dead. And he says, and in this, in this state of death, we are then powerless to withstand the three great enemies of the soul. He said, if our spirits are dead, all we have left, first of all, he calls it the flesh, which is simply this. It's the bodily desires and emotional desires that run the ship. Without the Spirit of God directing us, that relationship with God guiding us, without the Spirit of God saying, hey, this is what brings life and flourishing in the world and in your life, we actually can only resort to what our bodies want and what emotions want, which is those twin pillars of, man, I'm just going to do what feels right. That us unplugged from God, our only true north are our feelings or our bodily appetites. And so humanity is in a trap 
of obeying, not our creator who knows the way to life. We are actually left obeying simply what our bodies desire and what feels good in the moment. How many of you know what feels good in the moment is rarely what's good for you? And yet, that becomes our true north. We're disconnected from the author of life. So that becomes our true north. Paul says it, it's not actually, the problem gets even worse because disconnected from God, we're not only dead, disconnected for eternity, but we're now living out of just our bodily desires and our emotional wants. But we have two other things that are accentuating that. He says the first thing is the devil, the enemy, spiritual beings that are there to oppose you. And in fact, what they do, they don't normally appear like in Halloween. Uh, what they normally do is come and actually lie to you that your bodily desires and your emotional wants in the moment are really good for you. They will lie to you because they were seeking to destroy you and you've got no power to resist because you're in the moment and you're thinking, man, I'm not too sure this is the right thing for you, but you hear them say, go on, go on. It's exactly what you need. You be you. Be faithful to who you are. Be true to yourself. And time and time again, we may do something, say something, be something that we go, this is, I don't think this is good for you, but we have this rest on our head and we give in. Because these lies from the enemy land on the brokenness of our hearts. And then he said, not only do you have a spiritual enemy kind of confirming lies of how to make the most out of life. He says, you then have a society around you, he calls it the world, which just simply means when the majority of society are disconnected from God, we all kid ourselves that this way is the best. We have marketing campaigns, we have all sorts of cultural pressures to conform into be this, do that, find your value here, find your significance here, that we're actually making all these decisions which don't lead to human flourishing, which leads to the brokenness of this world, but we can't seem to stop. We're in this vicious cycle of being unplugged from God, and then these three enemies of the soul are causing chaos, not only to our lives, but to society. We know something's wrong. We think it could just be, well, we just need to pull our bootstrap, bootstraps up and try harder. But Paul says, no, 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 it's way worse than that. Because for two, three, four, five thousand years, this problem's existed. And we keep saying, well, better education, well, you know, better welfare, better politics, better health, better relationships, and we'll fix it. And yet we're still here today going, man, Something's wrong. This world is broken. Paul says, it's not that we're just sick. It's not that we just need a wise teacher. It's not that we just need better self-esteem. He said, the problem is, we're dead. We are dead in sin, which just simply means unplugging from the source of life, unplugging from God our Father. The pain, the injustice, the evil, the trafficking, the genocide, the racism, 
When we think, how on earth are we going to fix all this? How on earth are we going to ever overcome this? Paul's saying the answer is bleak because we can't save ourselves. We've tried everything, but you remember what it was like, but we're stuck. He then says, and because of this, the human race is actually the object of wrath. Do you say wrath or wrath? Wrath. Objects of wrath, before I confuse you fully. Now, here's the thing. Here's, no one likes to hear the word wrath, right? It's like we have images of growing up in church and a fiery old sweaty preacher with a big black Bible throwing it at you with you are an object of wrath. And of course, the truth is that we don't fully understand what we're talking about because of that word and maybe the perceptions of it. But that word could easily be translated into a different English word, which actually makes sense in this cultural moment, is when God looks at all of the pain, all of the evil, all of the injustice, he, because of his love for the human race, he looks at us as objects of, think of the word justice. Justice. The last three years, rightly, it feels like the the blindness of humanities, or at least many of our eyes have been opened to injustice for certain communities in our nation, and we stand up and we demand justice. We demand intervention. We demand that things change. We don't want to see people abused or trafficked or uh, discriminated against. And we rightly stand up and say, enough's enough, justice. And when justice is entrusted with our legal institutions and they don't, issue justice, we get even angrier. Because there's something deep down in all of us that out of love for one another, when someone is injured and when someone is in pain and when someone's been abused, we want an intervention. We want legal institutions to come in and bring justice. Well, that appetite for justice is simply an echo of God's hunger that this world doesn't suffer from the evil that has been inflicted since we all unplugged ourselves from God. We kind of like to hide, don't we, from the pain of this world. We kind of want to pretend it's not happening, and and yet when we actually enter into the pain, when we serve with charities that are helping people out of trafficking, when we actually work with social services and get engaged with the foster care system and see the plight of children, when we are lawyers and working in the family law courts where we see the abuse that children sometimes have to go through and endure, when we go into situations that time and time again, we actually go, we step into the darkness and all of our hearts cry out with God, justice. The problem is, we never think that we are the ones deserving. The problem is that we always look at other people and go, God, bring justice to that person. The evil of this world is because of him or her or that. And the great tragedy, the great irony is that when we all actually are honest with ourselves, we can't separate our choices, our decisions, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. We can't say all of that is neutral and we can't say it's not contributing to the pain of this world. We are part of the system. 
Whether we go, you know what, all I did was buy that, but not realizing or not or turning a blind eye. Well, for that to be that cheap has to be all of this. Well, I just looked at something on the internet, a bit of quick kind of porn. You know, don't you realize, actually, supply is only there because it's meeting demand. Well, we can go on and on. He said, don't you realize the awful predicament we are all in, when you look at the world of this mess, we are dead we are people who are trapped in a cycle of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And rightly, we're all crying out for justice. And the people in the dock are you and me. There was a, a great author called G.K. Chesterton who was reading the Times newspaper. And the question in the Times newspaper was, what is wrong with the world? And they invited people to write in with their suggestions of what is wrong with the world. G.K. Chesterton simply wrote a letter and they published it, and it said, what is wrong with the world? Dear sir, I am. This is where Paul realized, and do you realize, this is the depth of who we are without Jesus. Do you see life without God? We're all caught up in the pain and injustice of this world. Not only for now, but forever. But then Paul writes probably one of the most beautiful sentences in all of the Bible. As he recalls and remembers what life is like without Jesus. As he recalls and remembers what it, the state of his eternity was without Jesus. When he, when he looked at the state of what he was inflicted on the world in this deathly cycle of evil and injustice, he writes these words, but because of his great love for us, God. But God. But God, to the most beautiful words that will shape and fuel your worship forever is simply remembering where you were without God, remembering what you deserved without God, remembering what you actually, your future trajectory was, but two words stop everything and cause you to fall to your knees in worship and these words are, but God. But God. Paul has a big but God. That no matter what the circumstances are in his life, he can never get over but God. The problem that we have is we have small but gods. Unless he does something else for us. But Paul could feed his worship in prison for eternity with the simple remembering but God. Because of his great love for us, because of his great mercy towards us, because of his grace towards us, God did not leave humanity to the just deserts of our, of your, of mine choices in this life. But he did something about it. He goes on and says, but you have been made alive in Christ. In other words, God sent himself Jesus, his son, to us, to use the metaphor again, to plug us back into the life source. To plug us back in, he made us alive in Jesus Christ. And the first thing he had to do was deal with the justice. What I love about God is that he doesn't overlook any injustice. Doesn't, in his love for us, go, ah, we'll just forget about justice. Forgiveness does not mean that God overlooks 
injustice. What it meant with was, was he loved you so much that he decided to take the justice instead of you. That God came in the person of Jesus to represent you and me. To actually go to the cross and say all the justice that you deserve for all the things you've done, for all the things you've said, for all the ways you've contributed to the darkness in this world, even though you kind of explain it all away and kind of excuse yourself because you've had a bad day or whatever it is, for all the things you've contributed to this world, which is many and plentiful, Jesus says, you know what? Because of my great love for you, I will stand in the dock instead of you. I will take the punishment instead of you. I will take the justice instead of you. I will take the death that you deserve. And in that great divine exchange on the cross, I will give you forgiveness, I will give you cleansing, and I will restore you back to your Father in heaven because of my sacrifice. Because of his great mercy. See, mercy triumphs over justice, but he doesn't do away with it. We receive mercy only because he endured it and took it from us. Paul says it's not just you're made alive, you're not just reconnected, you're now adopted, a child of God, you're back at your spiritual, there's a new spiritual alive sense in your life that, oh my word, all of the transcendence that I kind of tasted when I was walking on the beach, all of that beautiful feeling I had when I was walking in the hills, all that beauty that was seemed like mysteriously transcendent when I looked in, intricately at a beauty of a rose or a flower, all of that was just echoes and appetizers of the true spiritual connection I have now with God my Father. I'm reconnected. I'm back in. Whether I'm prison or not, whether people betray me or not, whether things don't work out well or not, I'm still on my knees and I am in relationship with my eternal Father. I'm no longer dead, but I'm alive. He goes on and says, and now in Christ, he is we have been raised and seated with Christ. It says, it's not just that we've been made alive. It's not that just we've been forgiven. It's not just that we've been adopted into this family. We're now actually on the throne with Jesus, which is a weird thing to try and understand. But really what he's just getting at is on the cross, Jesus defeated the trifecta of the world, the flesh, and the devil. He said, I'm going to have authority over these guys. I'm going to give you the victory I have over them is represented by me now being on the throne, victorious king. And you know what? I'm going to share that victory with you. The Greek word that we are raised with Christ is the Greek word is where we get to sync something with. Do you know, like on my iPhone again, that if I do something here, it syncs up with here, right? This didn't do anything. It's just linked. It's just synced. And whatever happens here is now synced up here. And Paul is saying, whatever happened to Jesus and the victory he has on the cross, the victory over the spiritual forces, the victory over the flesh in your life determining what you do, the victory over having to conform to the world, Christ has power to help us with that and he shares that we are synced with him, that we can now live a new type of life. A new tapping into the power of Jesus Christ. 
that we don't have to live anymore defeated by the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are in a whole different place in Jesus Christ. He then even says, now from that place, you receive power, you're cleansed, you're forgiven, you're adopted, and you've got now this new power to live in a new way that you can actually, God, say, Holy Spirit, you're in me now, and help me overcome, help me say no, help me live into what you have for me. And he says, because I've got now new things for you to do. You were dead and lost, you're now found and given a purpose in life. He says, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that you have been destined with purpose, that you are now a person who's not just meandering around trying to find and suck out of life, leisure, pleasure, and treasure, some kind of meaning and significance. You are latently holding an abundance of significance and purpose because God created you in advance for things to do. You have been saved for a reason. You've been chosen to actually step into the purposes of God. This is who you now are. Paul, in these 10 verses, paints a bleak picture of where we were without Christ. It's rich in his imagination. It's alive in his heart. He, he's writing it, it's almost poetic. He's saying, oh my word, do you remember where we were, what it was like, what we were under the rule of, what we were tempted by, what we were enslaved by. But because of his great mercy, because of his great love, I'm now this, I'm now this. Do you know where we are? And he paints a picture which is so far from where we once were. He says, the further it is, the greater your joy. The further it is, the more you realize how far we've come in Jesus Christ is your hope, your endurance, your perseverance, because it doesn't matter what your circumstances say. This is unchanging. And Paul, from prison, in terrible circumstances, is writing to a church facing opposition and persecution and pleading with them and saying, move your faith out of if God is coming through for you in your current circumstances and relocate it to the beautiful, great, eternal story of what God has done for you, where he brought you, and what he's done, and where he's taking you. Where is your faith? It grieves my heart, I said, I said at the very beginning, it grieves my heart that when tragedies come in our life, when people let us down, when we go through an unwanted divorce, where we're facing unwanted singleness or barrenness, or when the job doesn't quite work out, or we, we felt we prayed for something and it didn't come through, that this disappointment with God in our current circumstances causes us to eject completely. Because we've been sold a false gospel. We've been told that God will be like a genie in a bottle, and yet at the same time, Paul recounts, you will go through suffering. To follow Christ is to take the narrow path. That there is such a thing as martyrdom in the Christian faith. There is such a thing as waiting for eternity for some prayers to be answered. Now Paul is 
always leaning in to say, God, you can enter into these circumstances, and in fact, you're always with us in circumstances. Even if it doesn't quite work out the way I thought it was, you're still working and you'll still turn it for good. But Jesus is not a genie. He calls us to follow him through this broken world to bring light and goodness, but we are gonna get caught up in the brokenness. We are going to suffer increasingly as the church faces a culture hostile to the things of Jesus. As we're looking at what kind of church Jesus is growing, he's growing a church that says, this thing can be disappointing, these circumstances can be painful, but they do not shake my hope in Jesus Christ. They do not determine my joy in Jesus Christ. They do not undermine what I feel about his church and his community because my faith was never there. My faith is I was dead. I was deserving of justice. I was addicted to the wrong things in life. I was facing eternity without God, but I've gone through the but God in my life, and now I find that I'm in relationship with him. I'm facing an eternity with him. I feel his presence with me wherever I am, and I know his power will sustain me through all things, because I am seated with him on the throne. This, this is where we put our faith. And when we put our faith here, nothing thrown at us will topple us. But I want to ask you a question, where is your faith? And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to relocate your faith away from unless God comes through for me type of faith to God has already come through for me type of faith. Let's stand together. Just love you to close your eyes. And I feel for many this morning, it's an opportunity to remember once again where we were and what he has done. But for some, it's the first time that you're actually putting your faith in this gospel, in this good news. and you felt your faith is really fragile, and you're wondering, are you real God because of circumstances? And as a shepherd and as a pastor, I never undermine the pain and the tragedy of circumstances. Paul was facing martyrdom, great loss. And we know that God's with us and he works all things into the story of his kingdom. And he will overrule injustice to bring about good, but we are still caught up in it. And for many today, you, maybe you've been, just been hanging on or maybe about to give up. But Paul is reminding us to relocate our faith in the good news, the gospel of what he has done where we are and our hope to come. 
So if that's you, I'm going to just say a prayer, actually. I'd love you to echo it in your hearts, to maybe, for the first time, put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say a prayer, and you just echo it silently in your heart. But just so I know who I'm praying for, I'm going to ask you in a few minutes, not now, to raise your hand while every eye is closed, so I can just pray, see you and pray with you. That's all I'll ever ask you to do. Then we'll say this prayer silently in our heart. So if you want to take that step today to relocate your faith in Jesus, on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three, just raise your hand. Great, you can put your hand down. And say this prayer, echo it in your heart. Jesus, thank you that you loved me so much that you intervened. You intervened in the brokenness of my life. You intervened in the brokenness of this world to set me free, to plug me back in, to bring life back where there was death. Forgive me for the things I've done. Forgive me for the ways that I've contributed to the pain and evil and suffering in this world. Thank you that you took justice in my place, that I could be free, that I could be forgiven. And just now, just in the silence of your heart, you may want to say sorry for things that are particularly there, that you go, man, I'm, these things weigh me down. Just name them before Jesus, knowing that he has paid the price for them. Now, Jesus, please come into my life. Plug me back in. Fill me with your spirit that I may now feel reconnected, adopted, a child of God and can live the life that you have for me with power and with purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. For those who prayed that prayer this morning, whether you felt something or not, doesn't matter. God reconnects you in Jesus. I would invite you to tell someone that you came with today or call a friend uh, and just say, look, I, this is what I did today. And it starts a whole new life of life coming back. Our prayer team is going to be up here now. Um, please come forward for prayer. Whatever it is going in, on in your life, we are seated in Christ. Therefore, we, He has power for us to come into your circumstances. So come forward for prayer. And now let's worship one song before we close. This is our faith. This is where we're rooted. This means we're unshakable. This is what I believe. Let's sing together.